0: welcome to the worst of the best podcast you wanted the best well they didn't freaking make it
1: so here's what you get from canada and florida ryan and drew Welcome to the Worst of the Best podcast. I'm your host Ryan and with me today we have a special returning guest host, Drew. Drew was my interim guest host when I was between brothers. (laughs) Do you ever watch Johnny Carson? He was like my Joan Collins. You know, Joan Collins was a great guest host for Johnny Carson. Hopefully, unlike Joan and Johnny, we won't have a falling out. They actually ended up not liking each other but she was a great guest host drew is just that he's a wonderful host always comes fully prepared makes me look terrible drew how you doing
2: i'm doing very well ryan that's quite a flattering comparison i do appreciate it i hope that i can live up to the great miss collins whether or not we have a fallout is entirely dependent on your good or presumably bad takes about this album that oh we're boy going to discuss today I'm here returning to discuss one of my favorite albums that would be the 1999 album Enema of the State by the great punk band Blink-182. This was kind of a seminal album in my growing up. I almost recommended it as a subject on your podcast as a joke because I sort of presumed this isn't up Ryan's alley or... Or maybe this isn't something that's uh, going to make it into the rotation for the great podcast that we're on today. The heavy rotation, high visibility, worst of the best podcast. But somehow we slipped through the cracks and here we are talking about Blink-182 today.
1: If you're new to this podcast because you're a Blink-182 fan, I welcome you to the show. So this is your first time listening to what we do here on the show. What we do is we pick something that is the best. Now, it could be best-selling, best critical response, best from a guest host perspective, meaning I can have a guest host come in and say, hey, I like this album the best. But what we do from that is then no matter what somebody or something has been ranked, no matter how it's been ranked or how somebody feels about something, even when something is the best, something from that has to be the worst. Not everything is created equal. If everything was created equal, then... It kind of makes life boring. So on this album, there is a song that Drew has picked, and I don't know his pick. There is a song that I have picked, and Drew does not know my pick. And we'll reveal those picks at the end of the episode of what we feel is the worst song on this album from Blink-182. Now, my understanding, Drew, is that Blink-182's album, Enem of the State, is their number one selling album just by a slight margin over their follow-up album. 15 million copies sold. This is no slouch of an album. The band Blink-182 has sold over 50 million albums worldwide. That is nothing to sneeze at for a band to do. To say that you've sold 50 million albums is a huge milestone by any band. I think there are thousands and tens of thousands of bands that wish they could have a fraction of that sales. You did message me and you said, hey, let's do a music episode together. I'm sure. Great, I said. And then you did suggest Blink-182. And I know you you do this to me. I, I don't know why. But I know you sent it to me as a joke. Or not as a joke, but as a way to maybe rankle me or say, oh, Ryan won't take this. He's not going to do this. Because you're right. My experience with Blink-182 is zero. So this will be kind of an interesting, hopefully for our listeners, an interesting podcast because, like Drew said, This is an album that he's very familiar with, the band that he quite enjoys. For me, Ryan, this was a first-time listen experience. And so I begrudgingly put this on my phone to listen to while I jog. It's a 35-minute album. So I remember Drew telling me, oh, you'll like this album. It's only 35 minutes long. So even if you suffer, you're only going to suffer for just over half an hour. So I put it on. Then I put it on the next day, put it on the next day. And then guess what, Drew? I hate to disappoint you. But I freaking love this album.
2: Oh, I love that you love this album. You put a smile on my face when I was grocery shopping about a week after I made the suggestion. You just sent me a message I'm knee-deep in this and I'm loving every second of it. I want more. i just so pleased that I recommended something that you like because, as we've discussed, you've turned me on to some music that I hadn't normally given a chance to. And in our discussions and in our evaluations of some of these albums have really pointed me in directions where I found something that I turned out to love as well. I'm happy that I could do that for you. You're right. It was a little bit of a joke and it is part of our uh, ongoing relationship for me to make these suggestions I do think that we have an all elite wrestling episode in our near future, simply based off of a single meme that you posted. You know, when when I suggested this, I actually suggested the second album, the follow up to Enema of the State, I mentioned that we should discuss take off your pants and jacket point of that suggestion was just simply because it's a funny album title and i wanted you to have to put out a podcast titled take off your pants and jacket that's what i wanted to do what i wound up doing is i've talked to you into putting out a podcast titled enema of the state so it might be a win-win Blink-182 is a band that really started to get big in the late 90s when I was growing up and developing my teenage musical taste. Some bands in the earlier 90s that were sort of force-fed to me by high radio play or MTV or things like that, Blink-182 was one that I was able to find through those channels, but really sought out more, more and more and more. Saw a lot of their shows When I was young, the Warped Tour was a a scene that I tried to fit into for quite some time. This band was sort of a big part of part of my teenage years. Generally speaking, Blink-182 is known as Three Guys, Tom DeLange, Mark Hoppus, and Travis
1: Barker. Keep in mind, I'm the same age as Travis Barker right now. That Mm -hmm. puts in perspective a little bit of my musical journey. So when I found it was hard to listen to music... Of people my age or younger, if that makes sense. It's a weird concept. Oh, I really okay. agree. So, yeah, when you're a teenager, let's say, especially those formative years of listening to music, between 10 and 14, those are your kind of when you start listening to music and then you hit puberty as a young man. All this stuff happens at once. It's kind of whatever bands grabbed you in those formative physical formative years is kind of the genre you stick with for a little bit so for me yeah it was hair metal and heavy metal and hard rock of the 80s you know late 80s early 90s i graduated high school in 93 so i'm already a high school graduate this party man comes out 1999 or this of course was i think the third album or something a third or fourth album this time
2: yeah this is their third album yep. but
1: this is their big album this is the album that set them in the stratosphere So this was 1999. So this is six years after I graduated from high school. So there's just no way I'm going to listen to these clowns sing about whatever. And Because I'm now, you know, I'm 23 myself and I'm 24. And I think I was already married with, you know, I married young and I had a young family. So I'm like, this is immature. Their image seemed to say that. And So even when I put on this album, now 23 years later for the first time... I was hesitant because I was like, I don't want to listen to a bunch of party songs like from you know American Pie or Can't Hardly Wait type era music. And I was like, I don't want to listen like forty-six now. Why do I want to listen to party songs? But again, boy was I surprised by how great the music really is. Going back to your timeline. I was already kind of their age even they were acting younger than their age I guess you could say in some ways I wasn't crazy about their antics and so at that age of listening to music I had no interest in listening to this what I thought was an MTV produced type band and I was like no but you're younger so I get it I kind of get that you would be at that age where their antics or craziness their fun their zaniness whatever and their music would have really grabbed a young man at your age.
2: And you're absolutely right about the perspective. I I graduated from high school in 2002. And so as I try to think about bands that were hitting it big in 2008, which is the comparison, I don't really know a lot of bands that came out and hit it big in 2008 that are my favorites. There were some in the the mid-2000s, I was still falling in love with some of Blink-182's follow-ups or bands that were inspired by them, I would say, The Rejects. The Fallout Boys, even something like AFI sort of fit into that scene. I know you've done an AFI episode, maybe two in the past,
1: right? Yeah, I'm a huge AFI fan, and I did a couple episodes with my son. So if you like AFI, you listen to this episode, go check them out in the feed. We did um, December Underground and Sing the Sorrow, which were fun episodes to do. And I did it with my son, so it was quite fun to do it with them, yeah.
2: I remember enjoying listening to those, to those episodes and I remember enjoying listening to those albums. But to get, to get to your point is I completely agree. I don't think that I developed as strong an affinity for anything that came out in 2008 or afterwards, similar to what you were saying. As always, I think it's great to go back and, and try to listen to something that maybe you didn't give a chance in the past. There's always an opportunity to find something that you you didn't give it a chance and then you listen to it and you realize there is real value there and i'm glad that you found it honestly i think that when you say that you were playing this album while exercising i honestly think that's probably one of the best ways it's it's a very energetic album but if you're doing something short like a 35 minute that pretty much got exactly what you need to keep yourself motivated um at least audio wise I really don't do much exercising without music, so I think that it's a valuable thing. I think the smart thing that you did to try to introduce yourself to an album like this, doing something like that. The band is a three-member band. The lineup has changed over time. For the purposes of this album, the band is on lead guitar and vocals. Tom DeLonge on bass guitar and also doing vocals is Mark Hoppus on drums and percussion is Travis Barker. The band itself was formed outside of San Diego in 1992. At the time, they had a different drummer. His name was Scott Rayner. The original three members all went to high school together. They were trying to break out on what was then considered the Southern California suburban skate punk scene. Tom, in later interviews, has said that he was trying to channel a punk band called The Descendants. That band was formed in 1977 in Manhattan Beach, California. The guys have also said that they had an early spiritual connection to a punk band called NoFX, which was also an L.A. punk band from 1983 and onward. Both of those bands, it is important to mention, are three-piece bands like Blink-182, and they both did play similar music. Mark and Tom originally decided to call the band Blink, and that is how they originally toured. Eventually, there was a lawsuit brought by an Irish punk band. By the same name and so blink decided to change their name in a very random way by adding a very random set of numbers 182 and so there is no rhyme or reason for that people have tried to get to the bottom of it and over and over again the guys have said it's just a random number As the band was in its early days, Tom was eventually kicked out of high school. (laughs) I found a funny story about Mark's girlfriend forcing him to choose between her and the band, which did result in Mark leaving the band for a short time. That didn't last. and He eventually decided to dump the girl and rejoin the band. And that may be something that is sort of echoed in a lot of their lyrics and a lot of their music from the early days is these decisions of the boys for lack of a better term choose bros before hoes they like to hang out with their guys and they like to continue to be sort of immature and infantile and they make their uh potty humor jokes and they talk about how uh, they don't understand girls or girls are difficult or something of that nature the band uh sort of started to hit a big on the warp tour in 1996 and they were a part of later iterations of that tour Ryan, I, I, have you ever
1: been to a Warp Tour? No. Again, that would have been that genre and timeline where I was going to Ozfest.
2: Ozfest, very good.
1: That was my kind of genre, that type of stuff. So yeah, the Warp Tour was the younger crowd, and it wasn't it wasn't me. I didn't relate to any of the bands that toured there at all.
2: Did OzFest offer the opportunity to get a tattoo while watching your
1: favorite punk band? I believe so. I believe they probably did, but I never got any tattoos.
2: (laughs) Fair enough. No, neither did I. Not at the Warped Tour, at least. The band, before releasing Out of the State, the band released two albums, as I think we mentioned. The first one was called Cheshire Cat. The second one was called Dude Ranch. Dude Ranch was actually pretty successful, had a a hit single called Damn It, similarly sophomoreish humor and this sort of kind of middle school antics uh, echoed in, in that song. But the album did go gold in 1998. The original drummer Scott was removed from the band midway through a tour in 1998 due to heavy alcohol use. And he was immediately replaced by Travis, who was thrown to the wolves. He was given about 45 minutes before his first show to learn the entire 20 set song list and he did, and he played it all to perfection. This guy is a certified auteur. Mark and Tom, actually, after playing with Travis for just a few shows, they said that they felt like they had to step their game up, improve their musical performances, because Travis was really showing them up. And we see him now, he continues to do amazing things with all sorts of musical projects, and he's engaged to a Kardashian, so guy's doing all right.
1: Yeah, he has a string of women behind him, it's crazy. Good for him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep. Guy's got game, for sure. And he's a big part of this record. Energy that he brings to everything. As, as if Mark and Tom didn't do that enough, he just turns the dial up on, on every song. And one of the big differences between Enema of the State and the previous two albums was the producer, a guy named Jerry Finn, was
1: brought in to do the production on Enema of the State of course the big one for me was that he's worked with afi and december underground but he's also worked earlier he worked with green day and that definitely plays into some of the sounds we hear on this album
2: absolutely if you ever ask like what does blink 182 sound like or what other bands does blink 182 sound like you can just go to the jerry finn sort of uh coaching tree he worked with green day on their seminal album dookie he became well known for helping punk bands refine their sound become more polished and discover the art of the hook the vocal hook that um blink 182 does so darn well he worked with bands like pennywise and weezer before he joined up with blink and he worked with blink on i believe it was a total of three or four albums so he was with them for quite some time his career sort of spanned from 1994 with green day all the way until afi newfound glory and the offspring in the mid 2000s he unfortunately passed away in 2008 Yeah, he left a hell of a legacy for about 14 years before passing away. NM of the State was released on June 1st of 1999. And to put that in perspective, 1999 was just one of these huge years for music. I mean, you talk about Blink-182 selling 15 million albums. It was released in the same year that Britney Spears released Baby One More Time, which is one of the top 20 best-selling albums of all time. It was released in the same year that Eminem released the Slim Shady LP, mm. which sold tremendously well and launched his career. The Backstreet Boys dropped their album Millennium, which broke all of the first-week sales records and sold 24 million albums. Wow. Limp Bizkit released Significant Other in the same month as Blink-182's Enema of the State, and that shot them to the top of the charts And that was one well. of those
1: uh, buyers. I actually bought their album. I will say I bought Limp Bizkit's. They're two big albums. I bought those.
2: I certainly did, too. And other, other albums released that year would be Santana's Supernatural and Christina Aguilera's first album. So it was just a huge year for music. All of those albums sold 14, 15 million copies or more. All of those kind of put their artists at the top of the charts at the time. As you stated, I believe Inham In the State was only 35 minutes long had 12 songs. Most of the songs, as we've talked about, were sort of inspired by adolescent frustration and sexual problems or problems having sex generally it also focused a lot on trouble with parents and there's a lot of themes throughout the album where the song didn't need to include like a reference to a mom or a dad but it does and it's sort of framed in that way once you sort of notice the trend you're like this is there's a lot of family issues here and i believe take off your pants and jacket sort of addresses the issues more directly with songs that are directly about divorce and about being a frustrated young man. But even on this album, there was a lot of discussion about moms and dads and families. The album to me felt like it was Mark and Tom telling a lot of real stories from their life. And it's sort of interlaced with a lot of real specific details like a neighbor and a dog or a guy you know very descriptive about a guy they don't like
1: the lyrics are, I mean, they're not deep.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we may play a game later of what was the most problematic line. <laughs> what age the worse? There's probably some lyrics in there like that. To sort of summarizing this album in its release, it peaked at number nine on the billboard charts. The later album, Take Off the Pants and Jacket, would do better in terms of its initial release. But as we've stated, Enema of the State did sell more, if only by sort of a smidge. The first single, What's My Age Again, was released on April 13th in 99, so it's sort of came out earlier and fueled some of the success. And even though the band didn't release another single until January of 2000, that was All the Small Things, they did a lot of stuff in the summer of 99 to help promote the album. They were in the movie American Pie, not just on the soundtrack, but in the movie. And a pretty hilarious scene that really did call back to their What's My Age Again video. It was sort of like, if you were going to mention or include Blink-182 in something, they were going to be mostly naked at this time period. That was just sort of their style. Travis got to show off all of his tattoos, and the other guys got to show off their um, beer bellies, I suppose. They also appeared on a little-known ABC comedy show called Two Guys, a Girl, and a Pizza Place. Mm.
1: Never watched it, but I recall it. Yes.
2: Do you remember the, the breakout star from that show? Yeah, Ryan Reynolds. With Blink182 appearing on a show that was basically a vehicle for Ryan Reynolds, they repeated their Naked White Guy stick, and I think they played a show at the pizza place. But I thought it was a little bit fitting because I think that Blink-182's Sense of Humor and Ryan Reynolds' Sense of Humor match up pretty well, sure. don't you think? Yeah,
1: yeah that's fair. Yeah.
2: Uh, so they did those things in 99 to really give their album some visibility, and it kept selling. They released a third and final single on March Fourteenth, 2000. That was Adam's song. Adam's song was a departure from the first two singles. It wasn't as fast-paced. It wasn't as energetic, at least not in the same ways. It also wasn't as optimistic in a lot of ways. But it was very popular and it got a lot of airplay on TRL and MTV. So that's sort of how Enema of the State appeared on the scene.
1: Great introduction for our first-time mm-hmm. listeners who are here because of Blink-182. What we're going to do is we're going to play snippets. Now, these songs aren't very long. I usually play like a minute, minute and a half from other albums that I've done. But <laughs> these songs are almost just north of that timeline anyway so we'll almost be playing some of the majority of the songs so we'll play snippets here and there to give you a feel of the song for any first-time listeners i think i know a couple of my friends will be listening to this episode who don't know blink 182 who are probably skeptical like i am and i might not be changing anyone's mind because i think this is an album you have to listen to all the way through more than once but i'm hoping that as a first-time listener of the band like recent listener To those who are listening to this episode for the first time, or to this band for the first time, that they will hear what I have to say about some of the songs, maybe investigate this album because of it. To those who are already fans of this band, I don't think Drew and I are going to say anything that's going to be revolutionary or that you haven't already thought of. This episode is for the non-listeners and listeners of this album, so for the listeners, you're just going to hear... Me, as a first-time listener, kind of my thoughts of the music now. Uh, Drew came in with with the information for the non-Blink-182 fans. So I think it kind of fits both avenues of people who are listening to this episode. If you want to know more about the band, by all means, Wikipedia, Google searches. We're not going to sit here and give you a documentary on the band. What I found interesting, though, with my quick, you know, just like, who are they? One of the first things I sent you was, I think it was my third listen of the album, and I sent you a message, and I said... Are there two singers? Either this, there's two singers or the singer is changing his voice every second song. And then you sent me a screenshot of who is who in the zoo. Initially, listening to this album, I found myself liking the vocal work of Mark. Because Tom, during this recording, he has a more of that nasally, young kid sound. He's coming in as like... See, I think he's kind of playing a character a little bit more immature, a little bit more punky, a little bit more childlike, whereas mark is sort of the more mature or it seems like he's the older brother so that's kind of how the feeling i had as a first time listen this is the, what i was gleaning from the listen so i went to see where the band had kind of gone on with other projects i haven't listened to this follow-up album and i've done that on purpose because i really want to go to the follow-up album as you would have drew and other people in the t- in the time of this i want to listen to it as truly as the follow-up to this album. So when we do, we are going to do a part two of Blink-182 and the part two will be their second best-selling album. Yeah, it'll be their second best-selling album. And of course, it'll be a little bit at least of an intro because we already would have discussed Blink-182's formation and everything. And But I want to say for that album, some of their post-projects. I don't want to speak too much of it right now. So I want the second episode to talk about where has Blink-182 gone to. So for this discussion, let's not talk about that. Right now, we're talking about who the band was, how did they form now, who's on this album for the next episode, we'll talk about kind of where the band has gone with additional members, other studio albums and other projects, because it's quite a journey and we'll touch briefly on that as well. When we, when we talk about that album, I will just say, I listened to angel and airwaves and I was like, Oh, I like that song. Oh, I like that song. And it didn't dawn on me until i was like oh that's tom i thought it was mark because the voice singing was so different and it was lower so i got really confused like which guy do i like now because i really like angel and airwaves and i wasn't too crazy about tom singing in blink 182 i wasn't too a big fan of that nasally sound these guys are extremely intriguing fascinating side projects it's it's a wormhole but we're gonna focus right now we're gonna get into the playing so what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna start playing the songs We'll talk about, for me personally, I'll kind of just how the song makes me feel, what I like about some of the changes in each song. And I guess, uh, Drew, you probably might have a little bit more information about each song as we go through it. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to hearing this album with you. Are you ready? Absolutely. Okay. Oh, before we actually get to the first song, let's talk about the cover art. We have this beautiful nurse. She's uh, putting on a glove. Of course, it's Enem of the State, so we're to insinuate that she's going to use the glove to somehow uncork one of the band members... uh, bottoms uh, to create an enema but that's not quite how it's done that's the imagery that we're supposed to get from this of course she's attractive her blouse is open so you can see some uh, healthy uh, chess work there and the boys in the band didn't know that she was actually they just picked models from pictures her name is Janine Linda Mulder and she's actually is a an adult f- film star they didn't know that at the time There's literally an episode we could do a documentary on this individual. She has had quite a life. She was married, small-time marriage to Jesse James, who ended up marrying Jesse James, that motorcycle guy. Left her while she was pregnant to go be with Sandra Bullock. She's had legal issues. Yeah, if you want to see more of her, she's 53 now, and she has an OnlyFans site if you want to see her more of her now so if you want to support her <laughs> her work that's uh, again it's janine linda Mulder. so she's the cover art girl that everyone's very familiar with but the first song is called dump weed let's just check out the intro for a sec That's Tom singing, so that's a little bit of that... I don't like the term nasally, but it's—I don't know what that singing style is. Is that a punk thing or is that just a Tom thing? I don't. Well, know. I
2: would describe it as nasal. I Think that's an intentional thing because if you hear him talk, he's not that nasal. It's sort of fun to emulate it when you try to sing along because you're not really trying to sound good. You're trying to sound like you got a stuffy nose. <laughs> it's kind of interesting the way that he does that, and he does change it a little bit, as you said in "Angels and Airwaves." He sings it sort of different way. I honestly I like it I thought it was funny
1: trying to figure out their personalities from their voices it's like a character in a sense and I don't say it's bad it's just and when I say nasally I don't mean to say that this is not fine to listen to but it that's where I was starting to go. Like, is there two different singers? Because either he's doing this character and then he changes his voice for a different song. But yeah, I found out later, of course, it's two different singers doing. I think it's like a kind of like, I don't give a crap type guy. So it's very much within characters of who they were playing on these videos and stuff.
2: I don't know, for whatever reason, the word uh, sort of petulant comes to mind. Sure, Is that sort of the character? I know it's a little bit easy to say that he's playing a character that is a punk. I know that's a little bit easy to say, but I think both of these guys play characters that are punks. I think that Tom's character is a little more like the thumbing his nose at a lot of things, whereas Mark is more casually apathetic about certain things. There's only one example on this album where they both sing. It's Dysentery Gary, and they play those roles to a certain extent.
1: So the next part coming up shows the... uh the punk sounds this is they're definitely still leaning to the punk and i think they they did that on purpose with this album knowing that this album was going to challenge some of their older fans i think they recognized that so i think opening with dumpweed was intentional to show like hey we're a polished sound yes 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 but guys guess what we still got some punk in us here and it comes up pretty quick here get Travis's drumming, right away you're talking about that drumming, that lot of rolling going on there, just pounding the skins there. Oh my goodness. He he's one of the first ones. He's
2: one of the first drummers that I saw that I noticed he never ever has a shirt on and I know this is sort of typical for a lot of drummers but man you just that thing would melt right off if Travis tried to wear a shirt while he's doing these moves. Really really love his style. One of my favorite things uh, about their live tours is that they let him do a lot of really really crazy things lift the whole kit and sort of fly around the stage lots of fireworks and and different sorts of um, visual things Things going on with him just going wild. They put out a live album between Enema of the State and Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. It's got a lot of the songs from Enema as well as from Cheshire Cat and from Dude Ranch. Their live show is just incredible. And to see Travis go wild with some extended solos is really, really fun.
1: I'll have to check that out on YouTube for sure. Yeah. I haven't seen any of their live stuff. So that would be interesting to see how they do live.
2: If you're interested in their live show, get ready for the toilet humor turned up to eleven. That's their performance style. You know, you
1: know I'm not, I'm not a prude. I love, to- no. <laughs> I love toilet jokes, and what have you. But it's just funny. I guess in my 20s, maybe I thought I was more mature than I think maybe really was. And now that I'm 46, I realize life is should be a little bit more fun. And so as I've gotten older, I'm not as snooty about myself or about what I thought was good or bad. And I can go back and listen to something now that I wouldn't have been able to do in my hoity-toity 20s.
2: Well, we know now you're the type of guy that does an hour or so of deep dive internet research into porn actresses that appear on CD covers.
1: I had to make sure I had the right individual. I had to make sure. (laughs) You did your due diligence. No one can blame you for that. I'm not joining her OnlyFans. I'm telling that right now. I think she probably has enough content on the internet that you don't have to uh, pay for it. Is there anything else you want to say about Dumpweed itself as a song or the message? Sure.
2: I mean, I always like to talk about the lyrics and I think this starts us right off with two of our big themes. Big themes in this album would be frustration with women and, you know, controversial or problematic opinions about women and trouble with family and trouble with realizing one's role in the family feeling whether or not you fit in within your family or whether or not you're living up to your family's expectations these are all themes throughout the album and so when he says i need a girl that i can train he sort of ventures into the territory of the um the female problems and when he says my dad used to give me all of his advice he used to say you better turn your back and run now come on son you haven't got a chance now I think at least in terms of this Tom character, whether or not that is actually how he grew up or not, he's putting that out there. This is something that people can relate to. It's a very relatable sort of thing where maybe you feel like your family or your father doesn't believe in you or that you're not living up to your father's expectations. This sort of spells that out in a certain way.
1: I just love the line, I need a girl that I can train. I love it. I I haven't been married 12 years now to my uh, wife. There's no training. They'll do their own thing and rightfully so. And that's as it should be. We work together. One isn't leading the other with a leash, so to speak. He has tried to wiggle out of this lyric
2: and tried to explain it in different ways. At one time, he explained that lyric by saying, Girls are so much smarter than guys. They can see the future and never forget the past. So that leaves a dog as the only thing that a man is smarter than. I like that. Okay. He says that he got a lot of shit from his then girlfriend about that line, and he tries to explain it in the best way that he can.
1: That's kind of funny. Well, there you go. That just goes to prove that you can't even say that line without your significant. (laughs) How dare you? How dare you say that? How dare you? tell you yeah, if a female yeah. had that lyric there would be nothing i need a guy that i can train us guys would be like what are you talking about you guys run the relationships and so it's just funny how a guy would not be offended by hearing that lyric about themselves because we'd actually say uh we'll do whatever you say anyways honey i don't know what the deal is here <laughs> what's the issue so the lyric makes sense what was a different place in 1999 yeah, um, this was 23 years American. ago this was 23 years ago yeah. that's crazy
2: it really is weird. I, I love going back and listening to this this album several times through. It just reminded me of who I was then and what sure. the world was then and, and where we are now. It, isn't it sort of similar to when a woman says that I can fix a man? Yeah, sure. Right? Same idea. Uh, that's sort of training. And I think that's sort of more acceptable for whatever reason. And a lot of guys go all along for it because we don't really have any direction a lot of times anyways. <laughs> Point me in the
1: direction, lady. <laughs> all right. The second song on the album is Don't Leave Me. now we've got mark singing so this is where i was like this sounds really different than the first song oh absolutely and i i just love how
2: casual he is and it's a song about a breakup it's a song about a breakup that's apparently mark's fault but he doesn't really specify why a lot of the time it's just not living up to his girlfriend's expectations not being the one that she thinks about anymore i really love that line don't let the door hit your ass i love that
1: yeah, out you go, out you go. And again, <laughs> Travis with that, just killing the drums, just pounding the drums.
2: There's a great bridge that he gets to really shine, I believe, uh, later in the song, yep.
1: Throughout this album, other than "Dump," we Dumpweed was a great kind of punk opener, not a lot of changes or anything, I would say, overly unique. It's just a fun opening killer track. But I found the remainder of the songs all seem to have a bridge or a change or something, and I think the band made this intentional that they wanted to branch out with this album it's my understanding that like you're saying with Travis but also between Mark and Tom the idea I forget who said it to who but they're like you know I think we could do more I think if we just do the same Dumpweed song over and over and over and over again people and ourselves included as the artists are going to get bored playing these songs and having our fans listen to these songs so with this album after Dumpweed I think every other song challenges or maybe old listeners of Blink-182 but then for music fans of myself I'm like oh I like that they changed this. Oh, I like the keyboard there. Oh, I like the soft sound there, or whatever it might be. So when we go through each song for the rest of the album, I actually uh, marked where I like the changes. It makes the song so much better. I think how they just continue punk, 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 punk every song. But this one is it's at the 123 mark. So there you go. I love that the drum, the bass is playing, and then Mark with that nice vocal and then the overlay of his vocal. It's just that whole, it's just that harmonic. I don't know, that just elevates that song. Had they taken that out and just made the, that punk sound all the way through, though, it would have been fun. I like that change and the buildup that comes back in. The chorus kicks in again.
2: I like it too. I don't know if it's, if it's a trope or anything within the punk community to not have a bridge. I agree with you that a song like Dump Weed sort of sounds the same the whole way through. And when your song is only two minutes and 23 seconds long, that might be all right. You can, you might could get away with that. The way that they are able to do. A couple times of repetition of the punk thing and then go into a bridge and then probably finish, usually finish with something similar to how it started. I always enjoy that. It makes it sound polished and refined in the ways that their producer Jerry Finn was well known for doing. A bridge is great. You love to have something different sounding. They usually change up the tempo. There's a wood block in there. There's a lot of good Travis stuff. What I don't think that they have perfected at this point on this album is what to do with the lyrics during that portion.
0: Hmm.
2: One more time with feeling. That's a pretty generic sort of bridge for a song, right? Yeah, let's try this one more time with feeling. It's great, it fits, but it's sort of like saying, here we are building up to do the same thing again. Later in this album, we have a bridge that I like, but it's just them saying moving on. Moving on, moving on, moving on. Again, you're sort of narrating what a bridge is, right? You're sort of saying... Maybe that's the punk. Maybe that's the punk. When I was younger and I was listening to it, I did not analyze this. But as you hear different songs and how do they do that part of the song in these different genres, you sort of think... One more time with feeling or moving on is sort of the foundation. It's a very basic, it's level one of this sort of part of a song. And it works because that's what all these songs are. I just wanted to point that out. Oh, it's great. I think in later times, they come up with better lyrics for those sections.
1: Aliens exist. Track number three. Tom is a bit of a uh, UFO conspiracy theory individual. My understanding is he's actually done some books on the subject.
2: When you go down a rabbit hole of Tom's thoughts about aliens, it gets weird fast. Uh, I think he is a proponent of like pod people. He does believe that aliens kidnap and replace people and that there are aliens in our society that we think are people, but they are not You look at the progression of the Angels and Airwaves discography, and you can see that all through it. He's not shy about it. For whatever reason, he stuck this song on this album. It's kind of funny when you look at someone else describe like the themes of this album, they say adolescent frustration, sexual tension, and conspiracy theories. And you go, that's not really a theme of this album. That's one song that just sort of stuck in there. It's definitely a Tom song. Yeah. It's definitely a Tom song. You want to play a little bit? Of course.
0: not the creatures from above you used to read me stories as if my dreams were boring we all know conspiracies are dumb
1: great guitar work there i love the old uh kind of cliche but i love the cliche of that sound that when you slide your hand on the frets, I don't know how to describe it, but that guitar is about to kick in. So they like the ramp up sound of the guitar and then they kick in with the chords. So Tom must do double guitar work on the recordings because you can tell there's two guitars playing a lot of these songs. So do they have a, a secondary touring member to cover that fill or?
2: Nope. Despite my very, very, very favorable experiences at Blink-182 shows, it's more performance than art. People do say that the actual sound coming from the band during those shows, especially those early shows, is not what it
1: could be. There are bands who I would say sound better in the studio, which is fine. Or they're they definitely are polished and a good production here, and, and they're still creating music. And I think there's an argument to be made for another day. If a band doesn't sound like they sound like on the album, are they good? And I'm like, well, yes and no, but it's like saying. A movie without CGI, it's not as good with the CGI. So imagine watching Harry Potter with all the CGI taken out. You can still say it's a good story, but that polished work is gone. It's not the same experience. It's okay if music has a polished sound or a different sound on an album that would have on stage. You take out the effects and CGI, it's a different experience. They might recognize that. And so on stage, they're more about the performance and the art, the antics or fun with the crowd or whatever you want to say. And they're like, yeah, we don't have the same keyboards or whatever it might be, but we're still having fun on stage. That's fair. As long as they embrace that, I guess. Green Day does that. They actually add a keyboardist and they add a second guitarist that tours with the band to fill in those gaps that the album has. So they definitely recognize it, but then they accommodate it on stage. I was just curious if Blink did that, and I don't know if they do that now, maybe. Last
2: I saw them was with their comeback in 2008, and they were still a three-piece then.
1: Okay. All right. The next part of the song they would like is at the two-minute mark. Yeah. Pretty
2: much this until the end of the song.
1: backing vocals there i love the guitar work the build up that's an excellent bridge that's one that really works there
2: it does i mean this is the first song on this album where i think the ending is much better than the beginning i think a lot of these songs have very very strong beginnings and sometimes it's just winds up being repetitive, and the ending really doesn't offer much more. I think that this song has a very strong finish leading into going away to college, which has a strong ending. I just wanted to point out a couple things about the lyrics And Aliens Exist. One thing, for some reason, he starts the song off by talking to his mom. Mm -hmm. The song did not need to be a song involving a mother, but it does.
1: Doesn't he say that it's his mom that told him stories? Maybe his mom instilled the conspiracies into him. She used to tell me
2: stories as if my dreams were boring. So yeah, absolutely. Maybe that's the source of all of this. There's also the, where he says he's not like you guys, more feelings of kind of separation from his society, separation from his family, feeling different. Really great themes for a punk song.
1: Awesome. The fourth track on the album, which is called going away to college, it kind of explains, <laughs> explains what the theme might be about this song. Guitar opening. Mark now is singing. So we're back to Mark. So it's, has it gone Tom, Mark? It goes Tom back to Mark. It flip flops. Is it every yeah, song? Like that? Just, no, the no.
2: next song is also Mark. And okay. then it goes back to flip flopping.
1: Oh, okay. Because I, I will tell you right now, this is actually my first time listening to the album in order. I have a weird thing where I listen to everything on shuffle. I never cool. like. Knowing what's coming next, I always just put shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. I've been doing that since the CD days uh, when I first bought a CD player back in the uh, late 80s. I just like the idea of letting the universe decide what song I'm going to listen to. Interesting, now I'm actually hearing this album for the first time in order of track release. Which I find interesting was we get to song five, which we get our first single, which is odd for an album to do that. What, What are you yelling about? What are you yelling about? You're doing hand motions there.
2: What are you saying? You're a guy that does podcasts about great albums and you don't listen to them as an album. Don't we understand the art of the album is putting the songs in a particular
1: order? I don't always listen to an album like I'm going to listen to it. That's my activity. So like it's jogging, car rides. Often some of my activities aren't in one sitting, right? I can't listen to the whole album. I've found throughout my life, I randomize everything because it's like, I'm not listening to the album as an experience, but I hear it so much. I get the themes anyways. It doesn't have to be in order. The concept isn't lost on me, but Drew's blown away by this. Maybe the other listeners think I'm crazy. I don't know. We need opinions in the comments. I think we need people to start writing
2: letters I think there should be a campaign to get Ryan to listen to albums as they were in- intended to be heard. Yes, Especially older ones. You know new albums don't follow these rules, and new albums don't really care because they're built for the shuffle age. This album was not. This album was intentionally put together. Wow. Okay. Find yourself 30, 35 whole minutes <laughs> out of <laughs> That's funny. Wow. When I sit down and I want to get a feel for an albumist, I do think that the structure of the album is important. And I think that this one is very well structured.
1: Well, we're doing it now. I do agree. We're you. doing now. We're doing an order are, right now. We are.
2: And I agree with you about getting to number five without a single. That is quite surprising. Well, I mean, it's not like they made the listener slog through 30 minutes to get to a single. Right. It's, it's all of 13
1: minutes into the album. <laughs> it's still surprising, though. But before we get to that song, there is a part in this one that I really like. and I think you might agree. Into that song i love that reinvestigation of the uh, beginning guitar licks to uh, reintroduce at the end great harmonies between mark and tom going away to college is a, kind of a not say silly but almost a throwaway title it's like going away to college but the song itself is one of my favorites on the album
2: mark wrote it in 10 minutes that's crazy he wrote it while watching or shortly after watching the teen comedy can't hardly wait I always question why there's a reference to a Valentine or what have you. I, it rhymes and it goes well. And it's a thing that you do for a significant other, which is what this song is something about. And then I was able to find at least in some retellings of the story of this song, it was written on Valentine's day. There so you go. Maybe he was lonely on Valentine's day and decided to fit that into the song. This is a
1: crazy song that it was written in 10 minutes because it's actually, again, it's one of my favorites. It actually goes to show you that sometimes, and this goes for all artists, all music artists, the overthinking process, overproducing, overthinking. Sometimes music should just be what it is. It just comes to you. And I think some of the, In fact, Blink-182 is not the first to do this with a song, but uh, I know a lot of bands and uh, that I'm a fan of have said the same thing. Some of their biggest hits were literally written on a napkin and a bathroom stall type stuff. It just came to them. Sometimes bands will get into the... Uh, an old artists get into the uh, too much in their own heads, and they try to produce something that just isn't there. But I love the line here. He says, "Bouquet of clumsy words, a simple melody. This world's an ugly place, but you're so beautiful to me." I know it's cliche. I know it's corny. It sounds like a teenager wrote it in some ways. But I love the idea of a, a bouquet of clumsy words. So he, he's saying. I'm trying to tell you that I love you or that you're wonderful to me or all these things. I'm just, as a person, I'm not getting them out. I've got this beautiful bouquet, but it's just full of clumsy words. But the idea is that, you know, you're beautiful to me. I like that.
2: Absolutely, and I think bouquet okay, imagery goes along with Valentine's Day. Yep. This song sounds like it's about going away to college, but it also could be very much about Valentine's Day. It all ties in. And I think that last portion that you played is very pretty and very beautiful, and it leads into our first single, What's yeah. My Age Again, incredibly well.
1: It's Mark again. Yeah, this is our back-to-back I Mark took her
0: out. It was a Friday night. I woke alone to get the feeling right. We started making out, and she took off my pants. But then I turned on the TV. And that's about the time she walked away from me. Nobody likes you when you're 23. And I've more of my TV shows. What the hell is ADD? My friends say I should act my age. What's my age again? What's my age again?
1: This is a catchy song. I mean, there's just no way around. I don't, it's hard to not find the song fun to listen to. It just keeps getting better, actually, as the song goes on. It's a single for a well-deserved reason. The producers of the album or the record companies, like, dudes, you want to uh, hit the stratosphere, you want to get new fans, you want to upset maybe your old fans, whatever it is, hey, put this one out. And I think it did all that. What do you think? Oh my, the
2: song is pretty, despite being sophomoric. And despite having what everyone knows, I don't think that I don't I, I can't imagine a person that hears this song. I just don't even know what it would be like to not associate this song with the music video
1: and to not associate this song with. That's you me. Know, goofballs. I, you, you've never seen this video. No, I didn't see the video until after. I think I kind of maybe okay. heard the song. Keep in mind, I didn't listen to the radio. So the back in the 20s, when I was in my 20s. I wasn't listening to radio anymore. I wasn't watching much music or that's Canadian MTV. I wasn't watching. There was no YouTube at the time. So I wasn't, if it wasn't a band I listened to, I didn't listen to it. I think I knew the chorus. It sounded sort of familiar, but I certainly have never listened to the song before. Then I went after listening to this album like a hundred times. I then said, oh, I better go watch the videos. (laughs) So I saw this video. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're running around naked. I've never seen it before. And I guess I'm one of the few that have well, it because there's like 150 million views on YouTube for all these songs. I never knew their passion for nudity it was quite prevalent in these days. So they'd like to uh, record nude as well. They, Yeah, it was fun.
2: It was a full-blown gimmick, man. <laughs> it was a full-blown gimmick. This video was heavily, heavily featured on Total Request Live, which just being in the age that I was and part of the community that I was, you really didn't miss an episode, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Mixing blink 182 in with the Britney Spears, the Backstreet Boys, the the type of programming that was on that show and appealing them to that audience was just so incredible for their popularity it just skyrocketed so this this song was released in April it really fueled the early success of the album and they continued on doing the naked thing you know for pretty much the duration of this album. And then, you know, later albums, they were still talking about taking clothes off and (laughs) titling their albums that way.
1: They benefited from a time, actually, I was saying, before YouTube, in a sense, if you think about it, Mm -hmm. because YouTube didn't exist, the only way to hear the song or see the video in conjunction with the song was to watch it on your MTVs or your Total Requests or whatever those shows were. Like, you couldn't just stream it. To your home computer so no. it, it kind of builds that uh, mythos that you, you can't do no band can do that anymore so i think blink 182 really lucked out well look let's be honest fame and luck go hand in hand they yeah. they kind of hit it at the right time with that right age groups with no internet or no youtube at the time they just became their own characters and were popular because of it whereas today you're, just, you're so diluted now with youtube videos and the mystique of celebrity gone Because of social media, Instagram accounts, Twitter, constant stuff on YouTube. It used to be that I could only see my bands if they happened to be interviewed on Much Music or MTV. Or I could only see my favorite actor if they're interviewed on Johnny Carson or something like that. But now it's like, oh, they've got a Twitter account or they got an Instagram. I've I've seen too much of them now. The mystique is gone.
2: You're absolutely right.
1: I have no idea
2: what a song like this or a band like this would look like if it was trying to make it big in 2022. I think it would be a totally different thing. But I hear this song and I immediately have this imagery of of this very goofy. It makes me feel like it's a very goofy song because of the imagery that's associated with it. I don't know, when you hear this before you saw the video, did you feel like uh, this is just a real goofy comedy no. song? You
1: yeah, know? I would say I was disappointed by that because I knew a little bit about the band being, I would say immature, but i if you were to ask me before listening to this album, is blink 182 a mature or immature band i would say well they're immature meaning like i think i got the sense they were goofy from what i knew about them but not ever listening to them so maybe my you know 23 years ago maybe i did see an image from the video but it has been 23 which you know two decades later i didn't remember the video i think i like the song better without the video so i don't need the video to enjoy the song i'd rather just listen to the song it's that i feel like it's more mature than the video is and so i like that aspect of it
2: the song starts off and for the main portion of it the driving force is the bass doing those very high notes it's a big departure i mean it happens at different times during the song but it's not usually the focus like it is here i think that gives this song just a totally different feel i wish that I could go back and hear this song and not have an idea of what the video was or what it would be, sort of develop an idea of what the song is without that. Unfortunately, I I can't unwatch these things. I think a lot of the lyrics are pretty funny, too. So I think you get an idea, or at least they're attempting to be funny. (laughs) So you get an idea. But I just I think that's one of those interesting things. And it it happens again with the All the Small Things video, you really can't I mean, I just imagine hearing that song, but not knowing about all of the boy band parodies and everything around it. I think there's a really pretty part in the song right around 110.
0: Time she walked away from me. Nobody likes you when you twenty anything. And you still act like your impression. Yeah. What the hell is wrong with me? My friends say I should have my age. That's about the time that she will come with me. No one should take themselves so seriously. with many years ahead to fall in line. why would
1: you a that- style? Great hook. What a great <laughs> that's a great chorus. Boy, they knew what they're doing making that chorus. Another song about being immature. Another
2: song about that having negative repercussions for your love life. You know, just double
1: down on that. (laughs) Dysentery Gary. (laughs) What a great title. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. This song is uh, well, it's a fantastic song, and it just goes to so many different places. I I had a hard time figuring out where to clip here and there. We've got a cool bridge at one thirty, and we've yeah. got a cool change at two ten. Two
2: ten just has, and through the ending, it just has like my absolute favorite lyric and absolute favorite part of this album. Okay. Quite honestly. Oh, okay. So.
1: Well, we'll play both. in. here's the one thirty, and, and then we'll play your part, and then we'll talk about it. Oh yeah, this is where Mark oh, comes off.
0: Yeah, this is away the to all along. the guy away? He's a player, giver,
1: night, hanging out I love that they did this. And I'm mad they didn't do it again. Can you give me a spoiler? Do they investigate this again in the next album where they alternate lyrics in the same song? Because I wish they, that the interplay between Mark's... They do. Okay. Because yeah. this is the only time they do it on this album. Am I right?
2: Yeah. And honestly, I get these things mixed up. When I was giving you the breakdown of who sings what, I almost missed just this little part where Mark and Tom are singing back to each other. And I love like it. Like I said, sort of demonstrating... Similar personalities, but a slight differences, especially because Mark comes in and he's a little bit calmer and then immediately Tom starts yelling
1: again. I love it. And that's what I said. Like, oh, I, it's love, just, it. I it's, yeah, love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's probably my one of my favorite parts on the album, too, that bridge change gets quiet. Mark comes in with his subtle type voice that he, you know, a little bit softer voice that he sings. Then Tom comes in. (laughs) It's just like, it's a great, great exchange. And I was like, why don't you do this more? I don't understand why uh, Finn didn't tell him to do this more. Interesting. I agree. There
2: is a song on the so this is again talking about the live album that they released in between this and take off your pants and jacket. That album is called The Mark, Tom and Travis Show. It features one non live song. That song is called Man Overboard. Man Overboard is almost like a bonus to Enema of the State, but it was put on that live album. They made a a video for it. It was a single. That one does have, I believe, at least a little bit of Mark and Tom back and forth. And then I'm almost positive they do it again. It's such a good gimmick. It's, It's so fun to have them both singing different perspectives or in this almost arguing with each other. And I just love that even though we say that Mark comes in as like a calmer, cooler head, he still has the line, fuck that guy. You know, he's still, he's still very aggressive about it. And he's obviously, this is a song about a guy that they don't like, guy that stole their girlfriend or, you know, stole the girl that wanted to be their girlfriend. All of this slander about this, another line about girls being a drag. Another line about potty humor is pretty much the best way to explain this scatological humor i guess is the whole purpose of this song then my very
1: very well there's a line about listening to slayer ryan were you ever a slayer guy no i've seen them live because they were at one of the OzFests i went to but i'm not a fan i get their place in as much as i'm a metal fan and a heavy metal fan they're just a band i never quite got behind but i get their place though as part of the big four as they say yeah a
2: Slayer this- fan is one of the big classifications of dysentery. Gary is a fan of Slayer.
1: Oh, so. there you go. I'm not in this diarrhea circle that <laughs> Gary runs in. Okay. <laughs> Very angry Andy, eh?
2: Well, I was saying that's my favorite part of the album because it devolves into absolute randomness, doesn't it? He says fuck this place, I lost the war, I hate you all, your mom's a whore.
1: Yeah.
2: Where's my dog? <laughs> Where's my dog? <laughs> i just love that line it's so random when they play it in concert he always emphasizes different things i don't know again why did moms have to get dragged into this i don't know
1: (laughs) well they are playing characters on this album younger than who they are yes hey look teenagers buy albums right they're speaking to the teenager crowd the young mind there's some biography in this album drawn from their own lives they are channeling their younger selves and younger stories, for sure. But they're, you know, like I said, they're in their early 20s. They're out of high school by five, six years now, easily. So, like I said, they're my age. So they are my age. But they're definitely speaking and singing to a younger storyline. Which was my age at the time. Yeah, there you go. All right, so this next song. Now, I'll never forget this. I was jogging. I think this was, like, the second or third time I listened You know how you listen to an album for the first time? You're just trying to get everything in your head, and you're just trying to, like, you know, you're just still figuring the band out or the, the album album. We've determined
2: already, you and I listen to albums differently. We've yeah, yeah all right, stop <laughs> it, stop it.
1: This was the same text messaging where I was like, okay, are there two different singers? And then I said, Adam's song, my goodness, what a song. I just couldn't believe that I was listening to this song on this album. I'm hearing the song, I'm like, what is going on here? This is a diamond, not in the rough, but a diamond in good rough. I don't know how to describe the song. It's just am i going to be disappointed that they don't do this again do they not investigate this type of maturity again is this something they don't do i'm wondering
2: no they absolutely do it when i listened to this album and i when i was younger and i was experiencing this album i thought Adam's song is as part of an album it's a trope it's a gimmick well i just think throughout punk albums of 12 songs there's one like this on every album. If it's trying to be a certain kind of album, if they're trying to be a certain kind of band, I think that one out of 12 songs is going to be something similar to this. You're going to incorporate a piano, you're going to slow it down.
1: I just freaking love this song. There's something about it that the message, the loneliness. And I went to YouTube to watch the video, of course. To hundreds of millions of views, rightfully so. People were saying in the comments, they cry when they listen to it. It's gotten them out of hard times. The song has actually saved people's lives, young teenagers' lives who are feeling suicidal. Pretty amazing when a song can do that.
2: Well, on the other hand, quite famously, this song, right around the time that it was released as a single, caught some negative publicity because one of the survivors of the columbine high school shooting later committed suicide and they were known to have been listening to adam's song on repeat when they did so maybe they found the body while the song was still playing on repeat does it cast a bad light on Blink-182? No, does it, does, not at what, all. What does it say? I don't think so. No, because I, I, I would
1: argue she still found comfort in the song. The song didn't make her commit suicide. Who knows? Maybe it made her stay alive longer. Her being a survivor of a horrible incident, that is what caused her to be suicidal, not the song. The fact that she was a survivor of a horrific, horrific killing, that's going to... Give post traumatic to anybody. The song did not kill her. It might have even provided her comfort. She found solace in it, and uh, unfortunately, the poor young lady couldn't take it anymore. That's very sad to hear. Yeah.
2: So you feel like overall Adam's song serves a beneficial purpose for people that may be struggling with depression or mental illness.
1: It's hard to say. I mean, that's a touchy subject. I can't get into the minds of everyone that's you know has a mental health issue. I mean, I've certainly throughout my life, like every other human, I've felt depression, anxiety. So for me, when I hear this song, as somebody who does suffer from mild anxiety in general, daily, this song makes me feel more hopeful and it makes me feel happier or it makes me feel like I'm not alone and that other people can struggle. I like it when he talks about spilling the apple juice in the hallway, as a young child is saying, and let mother know it's not her fault. The way I look at that line is, I'm sure it's been read a million ways, but the way I look at that line when I heard it was, as a young child and being a father myself, you know kids can make little silly mistakes and we as parents can overreact. We can be like, I spelled apple juice in the hallway and we can, as a parent, could be overreactive and it can hurt our child, not necessarily physically, but just what's really a small thing and then we overreact, it can be really impactful on the child. And now this guy who's now an adult who's feeling suicidal maybe, say, tell mom it's not her fault. So even though my mother or my father were angry or whatever, let them know that it's not their fault. The reason why I'm in this state it's just a whole myriad of reasons why I'm suffering from mental health. I think it's good because it could also be good for the people that maybe blame themselves for their child's mental health state. That sometimes we just are the way we are through DNA. A lot of different things I think this song provides. I think that's what makes a good song a good song. These The messages, the thought process, or the... Uh, discussion topics.
2: I agree. I agree. I think there is a very strong point to be made there about exactly what you said. I ask myself a lot of times, why does any song sort of speak in general terms, but then also speak in very specific terms? Why does it change from the world is wide, too late to try, these general sort of things, and then talk about a specific instance of of a specific kind of juice. And I think that is speaking to what you were talking about. This person, Adam, is a person that feels very unaccomplished that feels like despite what he does, he doesn't succeed. He doesn't reach the expectations, you know, of other people around him. People won't care if he's around. He doesn't feel noticed or accomplished in that way. And so this apple juice is like, he's making a big deal out of it when it is a small thing. It's just like one of those straw that broke the camel's back kind of things where he already says that he never conquers. He barely comes, you know, he doesn't feel alive. And also he spilled a cup of juice. Right. So that's the cherry on top of this guy's bad day. It's a song about a guy that wants to hang out in his room alone. It has one part of the song where it's not talking about being alone in your room. It's the line that says, When I can't wait to get outside. Musically, I think they do a very interesting thing. And if you listen to it, there is a bit of a crescendo in the middle of the word outside. In the middle of that word, the music, gets louder and more energetic. And I think that that is supposed to be a level of optimism for the song. If your body gets energetic, you get this extra extra sound in your ears when you're listening to it, and it's as he's talking about breaking out of his shell, leaving his room, going outside, being a part of this society that he doesn't feel like he fits into. And they musically make that an important word by adding what they do to it. I love it. And they throw the piano in there. We don't know the name of this uncredited piano player, but they certainly add a thing or two to that song. It's beautiful.
1: Okay, well, his name is Roger Joseph Manning Jr. He was asked to come in to do some of the keyboard work to elevate the album. He's worked with a lot of different bands, Jellyfish, Imperial Drag. He's an accomplished keyboardist in his own right. He added keyboards. You can hear it a little bit on other songs, definitely on Adam songs where it's prominent, but he actually adds it on all the small things. But he does it on uh, What's My Age Again, and Wendy Clear, and Anthem. So there's a keyboard work throughout the album. And again, this was a Finn idea saying, let's do this. And of course, the band guys were a little bit nervous, but they agreed when they heard it and said, hey, this sounds good. Keyboards fill in some gaps that other instruments just can't do. And the piano is a beautiful instrument. This album was criticized by previous Blink-182 fans of being sellout. The term sellout is a weird concept to me. It's like we've improved our sound and more people like it. Does that sell them out? I don't know. If your song sound improves, it sounds better, and your music is better, and more people like better, why is that selling out?
2: It occurs to me that a band is sold out when they have made musical decisions that don't necessarily improve the sound but point it in a different direction. When a band goes pop, and all of a sudden their stuff sounds like garbage, Sure, that's selling out. But I'd argue this album
1: doesn't sell like garbage, though. That's the difference for me. Absolutely. That
2: is the argument. There are two ways to become mega famous, I think, at least. One of them is by... Sticking to your your sound and, and improving it so that people like you, and the other way is giving up on your sound and just doing something that you already know that people like.
1: Okay, fair enough. Right? Okay, it's
2: a good way. So we it. have the in Blink One Eighty Two sense people that follow the band, people that know Blink One Eighty Two. No band that I know has ever been so excited to sell out than Blink One Eighty Two. Blink One Eighty Two was thrilled to do it. They were thrilled for you to say that they did it. They were thrilled, you know, to be labeled like that. Because guess what? They sold thirty million albums over the course of two years.
1: Too yeah, bad. they're laughing their way to the bank. They're fine, exactly. exactly. And I don't mean that as a like money is the uh, king. All I'm just saying, it's kind of like you'll say, put money where your mouth is. Well, they did. They put money where their career is, and they've and they've done a lot of other side projects and other stuff that aren't as popular. So if you want to follow their other artistic endeavors as a non sellouts and listen to their other stuff that would be my argument is you can listen to their other stuff that isn't as popular so to speak that was actually the third single adam's song And right afterwards we get the second single from the album all the small things believe me i've heard this song before but i've never listened to it before there's a difference i'm aware this song exists i know the hook but here we go all the small things Everyone knows that intro. Everyone knows, but I admit I never listened to the song before. And I'll play to the hook here, and I just want to say this is one of those you can't help but tap your foot to the hook. So I love how they do the na-na-na sound. I, I don't know why, but I love that that's done. It's, uh, it's probably not very... Uh, maybe it is punk. I don't know. I know punk does a lot of back, what they call gangcore singing, and they certainly do a lot of backing vocals. Tom specifically said that he wanted to include the na-na-na's as an ode to the Ramones.
2: He certainly described this song as a Ramones-style song. They also described it as really catchy and basic But it was a huge damn hit, huge damn hit, you know, another one that I can't separate from the video because I was there when the video debuted on TRL and they they built it up for weeks or months. Even like I said, they released this single and this video eight months after What's My Age Again. So there's this huge gap in terms of 1999 and the way that music was released back then. So there was a lot of anticipation built on this and. The video, as most people know, Ryan, have you seen the video?
1: Uh, again, I watched it for the first time the other day.
2: It's a straight up parody of the Backstreet Boys in sync, 98 degrees, the types of pop videos that were dominating the airwaves at the time. It was intentionally corny, it included some of the traditional bathroom humor, like Tom singing on the toilet. Other than that, it was just a simple rock song that they probably didn't, I don't, I didn't see anywhere that it took them 10 minutes to write it, but I
1: wouldn't imagine it took much
2: longer, would you? It's,
1: again, it's not deep, but it's fun, and it hit the marks that it's supposed to hit. And here's the bridge that surprised me when I was really listening to it for the first time. definitely hear the keyboards there. They hear the piano and some of the uh, keyboard effects behind that bridge, which really elevates elevates that bridge, quite frankly. And it surprised me. Like I said, I thought uh, I would say, yes, I've heard this song before, but I've never listened to it before till my listen through of this album. And uh, that bridge really elevates the song. It's like, oh, that's a really cool build up and the drum play and don't be fooled by again to my dear listeners who are on this journey with me for the first time with this album who aren't blink 182 fans don't let the popularity of an album you maybe some of the simplicity of some of it discourage you from enjoying something that could be a fun listen
2: as someone who knows very, very good guitar work much better than me, is there anything that's subtly complicated or sophisticated about the work on this song that you sort of think it's, oh, it's a traditional pop and it's very... But, you know, if you actually... deep dive into it is there anything significant or interesting there
1: yeah i haven't spoken too much to guitar work i th- i think the guitar work the, the sound quality is very good we heard it there that that picking as the drum beat uh, kicks in uh, that uh, clean like single note picking the guitar itself sound throughout the album is very strong it's not simple in the sense like this is just simple and the there's actually some good guitar layering happening that's why i asked like do they have that second guitarist on tour because i was you know for me i'm a big concert guy so i was like "Eh, i wonder if they can pull this off live because this is a great listen on in the studio but we got more than one guitar playing through every song like it's pretty it's pretty obvious to me as a an ear for guitar i was like oh this more than one guitar playing which really fills in or gives it that crunchier and heavier sound on some of these songs so i would say i'm disappointed that they don't but it'd be interesting to see how they pull it off with just one guitar during some of these parts but the guitar works fun and it's good uh, i would say obviously the highlight or maybe the star of this album in many ways is uh travis on on the back end elevating the band in general as the band members have said that, that travis did the uh, pounding rhythms of uh, great bass playing these three guys they're for young they're young they're in their early 20s and they're really uh, they're really smashing the the hits here i'm not gonna lie to you i'm impressed i'm impressed that these young kids are doing it i mean when i was 23 I would not have given the album credit that I'm giving it now had I listened to this 23 years ago.
2: Very good. always like to hear your insight. You know, I hear things and I know that you hear different things uh, based off your experience. Always love to pick your brain about that. All the small things. Heck of a song.
1: So this next one is track nine. It's called The Party Song. I think it's pretty self-explanatory what the song might be about.
0: Do you want to come to?
1: So this kind of draws back to the first song in some ways. I think, the you know, we had these seven other songs have occurred since the opening track where we're getting different bridges and different hooks and all this stuff. And this is a, I'd almost say like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll destroy you another punk song. And this song kind of just comes in and it says, we're not going to give you any of that stuff that we kind of gave you before. It's just a in-your-face punk song, fast lyrics. It's Mark sing almost Tom-like, not nasally, but... Wise.
2: Yeah, I can see that. Very, very short, staccato singing style, which Tom does on some songs. I mean, this is definitely a quintessential Mark song. The way that the pace changes, I really enjoy. You've got it queued up at about 38. I love this part. Okay. I love the way that he sort of goes into more, you know, he starts off talking and this is almost more singing. So we'll see it.
0: And then I saw her standing there with green eyes and long blonde hair. She wasn't Some girls try to hide, 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 hide. Some girls try, hide, hide, hide,
1: hide. And, some girls try and then it basically just repeats itself exactly again for the second half. That was a minute yeah, minute yeah, four. It's a very repetitive song. And then it just says, "Oh, we'll do that again." The same uh, talk fast scene and then the chorus and then the song ends.
2: Still singing about the same girl, yeah. just changing a few of the words very slightly, still complaining about girls trying too hard. I like the na-na's. nanas are back. Yeah, uh, they're back. You know, <laughs> back-to-back songs for nana's. I want to say my favorite part of this song is the first three seconds.
1: Yeah, what do they mumble there at the beginning? I didn't he, catch it He till- says something like, I hate you, mother******. That's what he oh. says. That's what it is. Now, that makes sense. Having read a little bit that I did on this, on this album, it's my understanding that- Mark was at a frat party and he left early because the guys at the party were just annoying. That would make sense that if he starts the song that way, he's speaking to the guys at the party that they're all annoying.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, you sort of lump in Blink-182 into a frat boy atmosphere. You would think maybe they would get along at a frat party. But a frat party is, uh, speaking from experience, I am a Delta Kai. <laughs> A frat party is a lot of different kind of masculinity. A punk band, especially a punk band like this one that openly talks about not feeling adequate, not living up to expectations, not getting the girl, hating the guy that does. I would say in most of those songs, the guy that they're singing about, they don't like him. He might be a frat guy. Frat guy is successful and with girls at least, or perceived to be such confident about his ability to do the sort of things that frat guys like to do. So I can see why Mark would have a bad experience at a fraternity party, especially. you might fit in a different kind of party with maybe more alternative youths, but a fraternity party is pretty straightforward college masculinity. So I can understand that.
1: All right. The next song, track 10, Mutt. Beginning of the song. That guitar part at the beginning. Speaking of guitars, there you go. This song was very, uh, it struck me as, oh, this is different. Like there's something about that lick, that chord work that is unique to the rest of the album. And uh, I really love this song, Mutt. I kind of picture Mutt being like a dog that's a whole bunch of different mixed breeds. And this song kind of does the same thing. It has a bunch of different stuff that happened in it that isn't like the other songs. It's kind of a mix mash or mishmash of song.
2: That is a very interesting way of looking at it. I always thought Mutt was the name of the guy. So this song was on the American Pie soundtrack. it actually, the version that appeared on the American Pie soundtrack was a version that featured the original drummer. And oh. so this version on the Enema of the States was recorded, specially with Travis, but that was sort of one of the first big breakouts for the band was to appear on a soundtrack that put them in the same league with Third Eye Blind and Tonic. And I, I don't even know all the other sure. bands that were on that album. It was a very popular album. We've talked about soundtracks before and the way that they can be used properly to uh, enhance a band's career. And right. I think that's what Blink <laughs> did here by putting themselves in that category. But in terms of the title, always just thought this guy that they don't like this guy that took it, the seat off his own bike because the way that it felt this guy I thought his name might be mutt
1: interesting Now <laughs> we probably the same note for the the bridge let's see if we like this part. I just love that crunch, 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 and then it goes back to the beginning chords that we're getting to begin the song before you say anything. This is Finn channeling a little bit of that Green Day from their Dookie album. That, that. Well, I was
2: just gonna say I, I like the distortion. I don't, we don't hear distortion in really any of these other songs, and that crunchiness that you're you're talking about. I also love the bass behind it. Just doom 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 Yeah, I love that. It's got this
1: jaunty. I don't know how to describe it, but it sounds almost like like a. Guys in farm hats, straw hats, and a tractor bouncing along a country road. It's hard to explain, like this jaunty little, it's, you know, light on the drums, like Travis isn't pounding the drums. It's more of a jaunt song, but it's just a more of a jaunt song. And I like that. It doesn't quite belong on the album. That's the mud of it. It's the mud. It's got a mishmash of everything we're not too sure where it fits or what you know what what is the song but i love it i love the chord work it's a different song but it, it still fits the album but it's a different pace and, and pounding it's a softer pound if that makes, makes sense
2: previous song party song is just very repetitive and and same sounding mutt does go out of its way to give us some different things not just within the song but also different from the rest of the album the distortion i don't know what it is but it's not like Dude Ranch was a theme album, but it did set them up to sort of want to use, you say, farm hats. I call it like a California Western kind of okay. thing, vibe that they're doing. So like, This
1: might have been an unreleased track almost, or maybe something they wrote for Dude Ranch and they kind of threw it on here. Because the bands do that all the time, they're like, oh, this doesn't quite fit this album, let's, let's revamp it a little bit or change it a little bit for the next album. This could very well have been a carryover from that album.
2: It could have been and fit with more of a southwesternish kind of vibe or whatever we want to call it, a Farmers and Tractors vibe.
1: <laughs> now, track 11 is Wendy Clear, another named person on the album. We had Gary and we have Adam. Now we've got Wendy. So two spoilers here. Adam's song definitely won't be my worst pick. Wendy Clear, I guess my second favorite song on the album. I love this song so much. I don't know what it is, but Wendy Clear is just, to me, it's right up there with Adam's song. I like it a lot.
0: I didn't have to be so
1: I just love that line the nuclear device line How many bands have used those two words together nuclear device and a song It's so great how they do it and Love the bass line, Mark singing. Something about this song is just the way it flows. Is just, it's just such a fun listen.
2: Such an iconic intro. Like so many of these, the best songs on this album, it just kicks off really, really energetic, powerful guitar solo. And, and you said that Wendy is a person's name, and, and that's correct. In this song, Wendy is actually the name of Mark Oppus's Boat.
1: Oh, that's right. That's right. Which, boats are named after females, so there you go.
2: They are, or, or they're named after bad puns either way. But <laughs> windy clear is, is a, I guess, a boating term. As opposed to the last song, which was very, very much about sexual frustration and wanting to bone but not being able to bone, I believe is the, the quandary there. This song is back to a little bit of depression about the state of the world, I wish it didn't have to be so bad. Again, sexual frustration, and I I love the idiom that he would use, I'd play with fire to break the ice, lines us up for a nice rhyme with nuclear device. So we get what we want there. I think it's a little bit of existentialism in in the song, and we'll probably play the hook eventually, but he sings about regretting what it is that he wants, or wanting something that he could never have, and having these sort of bigger questions about, you know, who he is and what he wants in the world.
1: The and the and the so I again, it goes without saying. I love that drum and bass going, and uh, Mark singing over top of it. It's just such a great, probably a fun moment at a concert if they play that live. It probably sounds great the crowd loves the bridge because it is so simple and
2: iconic this is one of the better songs on the album i completely agree i tend to like the mark songs more than the tom songs i think you might be leaning in that direction as well yeah it's Um, it's
1: nothing against that's the natural where i found myself as well which again brings me to angel and airwaves i thought it was mark because when i listened to it i was like that doesn't sound like tom and then i looked at the credits like oh it's I was surprised it was Tom singing because he doesn't sing like this on those. Out- a couple songs, the earlier ones, you kind of hear it. But for the most part, he doesn't sound like the Tom of Blink-182. I don't know if that was intentional or not. Well, it must be intentional.
2: I got to imagine. I'll tell you something about Tom. Tom and Angels and Airwaves is a completely different performer. I've seen Angels and Airwaves at a Warped Tour 2000 and. Eight. it was one of the most disappointing performances that i can remember they play the songs and it's fine it's nowhere near as energetic as a blink show there are no jokes there are no there's no sophomore humor there's not a big flaming fuck in the background like they do at a blink show in fact tom went out of his way it was very very obvious Tom went out of his way to not make eye contact with a single person in the audience at this show that I was at. He just stared above everyone and sang as if he was above everyone. It's one of the most disappointing disappointing wow. you know the concert events that i've been to, and it's a warp tour so you get over it you go on to the next the next concert or next whatever act but that was just like we almost didn't want to watch him and this was probably touring for the first angels and airwaves album i don't know what it is it was just a completely different affect that he was putting on hmm. in that performance and interesting. We, did not, we did not enjoy it
1: yeah interesting that, well, that was that, was, that was, was your experience that's what happened interesting yeah. well, maybe we'll talk more about that on our part two all right, the next part of the song, which I just really love, I want to share it with you, is uh, here. But i play with fire to
0: break the ice. And I'd play with a nuclear device. Is it something I'll regret? Or do I want what I can't get? I wish it didn't have to be so bad. I wish it didn't have to be so bad. I wish it did have to be so bad. I
1: wish it did have to be so bad. Well, a great song. Nothing else to say about that. I mean, we, we love it. Great song. Last song, Anthem. Now I cheated a little bit. I saw that the next album opens with Anthem Part 2. And I now now I never listened to that, but I, I'm saving it. I didn't want to listen to any of that next album until we completed the record of this episode. So just for the record, I'm going to listen. To the next album. I'm like, I'm excited. It's kind of weird, eh? I'm excited for the new release (laughs) of (laughs) Blink-182. Their album drops one month later after me listening to this. They're dropping a new album for Ryan in one month. Uh, I know it's crazy. I'm late to the party. Uh, Speaking of party song, I'm late to the party. But that being said, I'm excited to hear their next album. And I'm very curious. I almost cheated. I almost cheated again by listening to Blink-182 without Tom. I know the last few albums have been No Tom. They've had a release as late as 2019. What's the guy's name? Um, I His name pre- is Matt Skiba. Oh, sorry, Matt. My apologies. He's so- formerly of Alkaline Trio.
2: Alkaline Trio is a touring partner of Blink. A lot
1: of the Blink shows that I went to, Alkaline Trio was an opener. Have you listened to Blink's 182 without Tom? Interesting. I have not. In fact, I don't even think I
2: listened to their most recent album with tom i think they put out one called neighborhoods i don't even think i've heard that i was not a big fan of later era Blink with or without tom
1: okay well maybe it's something we can reinvestigate and maybe uh, people can let us know where where we should do that but interesting okay well that's interesting to hear well last song on the album anthem
2: I don't know why I have this feeling, but ever since I heard this song for the first time, I thought that that very basic chord progression at the very beginning was a very good, well-suited for a song called Anthem. I thought that that, you know, sort of kicked it off in the right way. However, I don't really love a lot of the lyrics of this song, and I think it's kind of simple. He is a kid that wants to rebel from his parents. You know, there's still some funny stuff about uh, neighbor Bob and the dog, and there's still some sexual frustration stuff or actually some success because good things come to those who wait, apparently. But the teenage angst, the reason for this song, I mean, it probably appealed to me more when I was in that category. But to me, it's just it's kind of bland, quite honestly.
1: Okay, I think the anthem part is obviously it's a tie-in for the rest of the album. This is you know this is like the bookend of the album, the anthem of the album. The idea that there's teens and angst, rebelling against parents, school, society, all that stuff. That's that's fair. It's a little bit juvenile in the sense of its theme, but I think the anthem, the way the chords work, it's like you can picture a group of youth throwing their fists in the air in in unison of that. I think that's what it is. It's like we're united in this anthem of uh, rebellion and what have you. I think that's the idea. I think really redeems the song, quite frankly. I think it saves it.
2: You like the slide there?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I think a, that I think it, thing. I like the bass. The bass is real fun and bouncy yeah. during
1: the little little part of the middle there. Good backing. Yeah, Travis going well. Good backing vocals. Uh I think the the last half of the song saves the first half.
2: You're probably right. And it is different. It starts off kind of boring and it gets a little better. This was typically the closer or the the encore, quite honestly, for a lot of shows that oh. I saw. It gives the audience a real good chance to scream time bomb and you oh, know, okay. on, a, on a real high note. This is usually when they light the flaming fuck in the background, just really go all out with the performance aspect of it while these guys are just playing as loud as they possibly can. So you're right. The back end of it is a lot better. And this is one of those songs that's actually three and a half minutes long so you know it's long enough to actually have like a front half and a back half I, I do like it when they were all playing as hard as they can there at the end and I'm sure you're excited for Anthem Part 2 that's coming up soon
1: sooner than you think now I can listen to it officially now that I've given my thoughts on this album and we've done a recording we're nearing the end here can actually go listen to What's that, what's that album called again? Take Off Your Jacket and Pants or something?
2: Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, okay. I did want to ask something about Anthony yeah. if you have just once. Uh, of course. How do you feel when we're talking about, when we talked about Adam's song, and whether or not that was a, a positive thing or a, a responsible thing for them to do, to write this song about suicide, how do we feel about the very ending of this where Tom is actually screaming, the song is about... Hating your parents and rebelling from your parents and a generational war in some sense that the children have been failed by their parents. Was it reckless? Was it response? Was it irresponsible at this time period, especially? And we hear about this with different bands sort of instigating. You've got bands around this exact same time, like. Limp Bizkit releasing break stuff and starting some sort of an issue by playing that song in front of a very excited crowd at Woodstock and, and did they incite something with that one? Does Anthem fall into a similar category for you?
1: No. I'm so sick of music, movies, video games being blamed for people's poor choices. I have listened to the same music, watched the same violent films, I've played the same video games. My whole life, and I've never lifted a finger on anybody, I've never caused any criminal behavior, I'm a pretty peaceful guy, if Anthem speaks to a child to rebel against their terrible parents, then so be it, they're terrible parents. I love my parents and I have a great relationship with them. So I can hear a song like this if I was a teenager and I heard my fair share of Metallica, Megadeth, all those other bands I grew up with, angry at this or angry at that or whatever it might have been. Guns N' Roses sang songs about mistreating women for Pete's sakes. I listened to those and I've never done that. The idea that a song will change my behavior I think is ludicrous. Look, songs do speak to people, don't get me wrong, but I've never had my behavior change to the sense of criminal activity because of a song. I felt inspired by songs. Some people are just naturally alcoholic. They have it in their DNA. So one beer for an alcoholic is a terrible thing, and it can really send them on a trajectory that's terrible. So does that make alcohol bad? No. It just so happens that some people's DNA, yes, it can be inspired by a song, a video game, and a movie. So am I sounding like a hypocrite? No. What I'm saying is we can't blanket everything because of some people's actions. There's just going to be some people that... Will take a beer and they'll binge and they'll they'll make poor choices. But that doesn't mean beer should be outlawed. There might be a song that causes somebody to commit suicide. Ozzy Osbourne was accused of that. Many bands have been. Judas Priest was accused of that. This is very common. But again, it's not the band's fault that this person has mental health issues and they committed suicide. Someone might have watched a movie and then when they went on a, a school shooting, is that movie to be blamed? No. This kid. How were they raised? Were they abused? Were they neglected by their... like? There's so many factors. To to lump art onto people's behavior is uh, overall behavior or ultimate behavior is an absolutely ridiculous thought process. I appreciate
2: the very in-depth thoughts that you put into that. Um, It's probably something that we've both thought about at different times. And as we reevaluate old songs and as we hear them again for the first time, I always like to take the step back and go... I know how I felt then, very harmless, just a song, just a guy saying a couple of words. But as you look at it in a different lens, I, I just always challenge myself to reevaluate these things when, when the time arises. I don't think there's anything wrong with break stuff, and I don't think there's anything wrong with anthem. But I just look at it in a certain way, and I go, you know, the question could be asked.
1: Put it this way, if my kid did something because of a song, music, or video game, and I have a few kids, so I can say this as a parent, then I have failed my child, not the song.
2: And that's taking responsibility as a father
1: and as a person. I think that's much better than passing the buck onto a CD. Exactly. I would never blame the artist. I would actually blame myself. So there you go. All right. Well, here we go. What is the worst song on the album? Well, uh, I'll just give my thoughts on these things. We've got
2: three singles. We've got another song that was on a a soundtrack, got a lot of airplay. I know where you fall on these things. Your least favorite is definitely going to be one of those three singles. You're gonna find some way to would you stop into, it with
1: that you're gonna
2: find some way to contort yourself into that position and tell me that what's my age again is the worst song ever released but I don't feel that way. We have talked about songs that are repetitive. we have talked about songs that share common themes. One thing uh, <laughs> one song that's not repetitive and doesn't share any common themes with anything else on this album is track number three aliens exist is the worst song on this album.
1: All right. (laughs) That's fair. You know, actually that's fair. I will say this alien exists battled a little bit in my mind with another song, but it wasn't aliens exist. At the end of the day, aliens exist is a better song than the worst song on the album. And my friend, as much as I sort of agree with you on that choice, I take slight offense to your constant berating of me regarding singles. You also have to keep in mind because I'm unfamiliar with this album, the single Ida syndrome isn't as strong on this album as it is for me on other albums. So you, I have was to- hoping that would be the case. I was hoping, I was hoping you would come into this with a
2: reasonable mindset. Not That's reasonable. Would
1: you stop <laughs> with the? Re- <laughs> I was hoping that you would leave your biases at oh, the door.
2: Not biases.
1: <laughs> it's just life experience. <laughs> life experience. Okay. So the singles, none of the singles, are, in fact, a lot of the singles are, in fact, Adam's song is my favorite song on the album, and that's a single. All the Small Things was the most familiar song I knew from the album, like the most, I might have told you it was Sum 41, maybe five months ago. I don't know. I don't know if I could have named which which band it was, but I knew the song. So that's how much I knew the song. I just knew that this was a popular song. If you told me it was Sum 41 a month ago, I might have believed you. So I don't know anything about that band either. Anyways, yeah, it's not the singles. It, this one is actually my least favorite song by far and by far i mean of all the songs i've almost skipped it and when i do my shuffle and i'm jogging i almost go to the skip button like no i better not i better just keep listening to it honestly with all the other songs give the same amount of equal play before i do this episode so i never did to be fair to it so i didn't like just eliminate it and not be able to speak to it and that's the party song it's partly yes the lyrics maybe this is now 46 year old Ryan talking like okay party uh I just I don't care about the lyrics I don't care about the idea party I've never been a big partier I don't like the way Mark sings it there's nothing hooky about it girl's not wearing underwear like okay like part of me is just I can't relate to the song and it's not a fun song it's kind of an irritating song it's for me it just by far actually, and I, it sucks because this album is almost a near-perfect album. If that song was taken off as an 11-track album, I would give it a 5 out of 5 album. It suffers from that one song. It's a throwaway and, apparently, it was the last song written for the album. Is that true? Yes. It almost feels like it was thrown together. It was the last song. Hey, we got to get another song on here. we got to make it an even 12. I, I don't know what the discussion was, but it was the last recorded song and they should have just not came up with the idea. They should have made an 11-track album. There you go. Party song. worst song songing the album.
2: I can get behind that for some reason the little hook the little hook that they repeat and standing there green eyes and long blonde hair not wearing underwear that just sticks in my head for whatever reason it's one of the more memorable three lines of the album the way that it all goes together i can picture this girl i'm sort of with you i think you indicated a little bit there that whether or not she's wearing underwear doesn't really appeal to me either way i probably rather she was. Hygiene is important. I kind of feel like if you're saying that this is the last song they put on the album, then what they were saying is, we need another song that's kind of like, don't leave me and going away to college, but is worse.
1: There you and
2: go. it doesn't really, that's sort of it, right? Yeah. Those two songs are de- definitely better. They're Mark songs, they're fast paced songs, and they just have better lyrics and they mean more. The party song is unnecessary to add i can understand if it was the first song you wrote you put it on there but why write another one that's sort of derivative of the other Mm -hmm. two that's interesting to point that out as someone who went to a lot of frat parties i can say a lot of them left me feeling like mark did and uh maybe (laughs) maybe i'd have more fun at home well it's been fun talking about this album with you
1: today ryan i hope those who have come to the end have enjoyed it and will join myself on future episodes on this feed or go check out past episodes if you like what we've done here with other albums or other topics Uh, i've done some with drew and my brother jason my other brother ruben who i started the podcast with drew and i at a later date this year we will investigate the next album from these guys and these two albums both enema the state and take off your pants and jacket did i get that right you understand the pun that they're making it should be
2: very easy for okay take off your jacket jacket is two words take off your is there take off your pants and jack it oh jack it. is that what they're doing that's what they're doing oh it's i didn't even
0: right okay. <laughs> <Dude.
2: laughs> you keep getting it wrong and i go how could you get it wrong you're, you're missing the joke
1: <laughs> can you see how i don't know these albums i'm sounding very naive and i apologize Wordplay, yes. Wordplay is fun. Okay, I would have never made that connection had you never told me. Okay, well, there you go. Remember, in front of every silver lining, there is a cloud. And today, for Drew, it was Aliens Exist. And for Ryan, it was The Party Song. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next one.
0: Gator Productions <laughs>